Every August, millions of children and educators enter school buildings anticipating a brand new school year. The school calendar is set with activities, events, and breaks all the way to June. But the 2019-2020 school year was interrupted by an unprecedented event and the delivery of academic instruction changed abruptly. Although all children were in the same storm, it was quickly discovered they were not in the same boat to access school online. My name is Ronika Jacobs and you found my podcast, Strive for More, Your Best Life Now. While there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, you've taken the time out to listen to this one. And so for that, I would like to say thank you. So without any further delay, let's get to it. Let's strive for more. Career Edition, The Virtual Evolution of Education. My next guest, Dr. Jean Wilson, is in the area of leadership and technology for public education. Janine is an administrator of the virtual learning program for a school district in the Texas area. Janine has worked in digital learning for almost 15 years. She has navigated as well as spearheaded the changes in technology and public education for students and the educators who facilitate their learning. In this episode, Dr. Wilson will discuss her journey as one of the few females in the field of computer science and how her district had to make a quick shift to 100% online learning during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi, Janine. Welcome. Thank you so much for being on my show. How are you? Hi, I am doing well. Thank you. Doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is awesome. Okay, so I have to ask you, what exactly is virtual learning? So virtual learning is just a methodology of delivering classroom instruction in an online environment. And that can actually happen in one of two ways. Either the students never physically have face-to-face interaction with the teacher, all of their interaction with the teacher is through a remote learning um, experience, or the students may have a part of their instruction delivered online and then the other part is delivered in face-to-face. So virtual learning is just the delivery of classroom instruction in a different modality, which is through the computer. Ah, got it, got it. Okay, well, that makes sense. So you graduated with a bachelor's degree in computer information systems. 
Traditionally, this is not a field that women go into. So what was it like being one of the few females in your program? Well, I have to admit, for me, it was a wonderful experience, and it's primarily because of the dean um, at the time of of my university, which is Alabama State University. The dean of the College of Business, who started that program of computer information systems, had a vision of making sure that any of the students who wanted to go into the computer science area didn't just focus on the machine, per se. Uh, Dean Vaughn, his name is Percy Vaughn, Dean Vaughn's vision was to make sure that we knew how to take the machine and make it work in every industry. So computer information systems allows you to be able to take the technologies available and apply them to any industry, whether it be economics, science, social sciences, education. So that was the whole goal. And, yes, it was a little different being one of the few females in our program, especially a program that was new. Computer information systems was not a very popular degree path at that time. Most people offered just strictly computer science, which, like I said, is really just looking at the machine itself. So it was a little different, but it was an opportunity for me to think differently about how to utilize my skills with technology, how to utilize my skills with programming, and use those skills to fit in any industry in any area. So it was really a blessing for me simply because I have to say the dean of our college was a trailblazer in that regard to where, no, there are no boundaries. He didn't accept that you may be one of you were at one time I was the only. He didn't accept that. So how do you think we can expose more girls to careers in technology? I think the number one thing we have to do is let our girls know that technology meets every single industry that we have. And I think that's the biggest barrier to understand. When people think about technology or computer science, again, mostly they think about the machine or the programming behind the machine. But we know now, you know, with COVID, every single aspect of our lives is touched by technology, whether it's medicine, politics, social sciences, education, economics, marketing, every single industry that we function as a human being has a technology component to it. So when you get girls to understand it, you don't have to be a person who just wants to sit in a room or sit at a desk and sit behind a machine and play with the machine, but your goal is to take that machine and apply it to what your needs are in your respective industry, I think we'll get more girls um, involved in those kinds of careers. Even media, you know, like with the podcast that we're doing right now, we may have girls who are great writers and understanding using different technologies to help support their writing process or girls who are involved in or interested in the areas related to cosmetics. How do you use technology to develop the kinds of cosmetics you want, which is what Rihanna did. One of them who loved Rihanna's path that she came out with with her cosmetic line that had all the different shades. Well, she had to use technology to be able to create those. So I think it's just letting girls know that technology is a part of every single thing that we do, regardless of the industry, and that's what would increase the exposure. 
Wow. I never thought about Rihanna using technology to advance her cosmetics and her beauty company. That's phenomenal. COVID-19 happened, and the school district began making the decision to close its doors in the middle of the school year, forcing alternative learning options to be explored. What was your first thought? My first thought was, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Because what it did was it really forced, to be honest with you, Um, it forced school districts and school district personnel to really take a look at what are the resources that you are underutilizing. That's what really came to the forefront. When districts started paying attention to where, you know, here in Texas, which many states do, uh, we no longer purchase the hard copy big textbooks anymore. You know, here in Texas, we all of our text, our textbook adoptions are digital adoptions. Well, with those digital adoptions are also supplementary materials and resources to help the teachers deliver the instruction. The challenge is, is that did we really fully maximize the use of those technologies that we already pay for as a district? And the answer is no. So my first thought was, oh, my God, how are we going to help people understand not to panic, because we had the panic on the health side and the social side of, you know, the pandemic, not really knowing what causes COVID, do I have it, do I not have it. You know, the symptoms were changing from day to day. So you had that sense of panic on that side. But then when it came to the school districts and panic, you know, we don't have technology, we don't have textbooks or we don't have computers, we don't have this. Well, actually, we had more at our disposal than we paid attention to prior to the pandemic. So that was my first thought was, oh, my God, how are we going to, first of all, calm down, (laughs) calm down, because especially in our district, we spend millions of dollars on these technologies that really allowed us to swiftly move toward delivering instruction to help our kids during the school closure. So what was the process that you and your district went through to determine how you would dis- deliver school 100% online? How did y'all start that process? The first thing we did, honestly, was really just survey our, our families to find out, first of all, how are, you, uh, how are you in terms of what do you have at your disposal in your, in your home? Again, people are thinking, okay, everybody has to have a desktop or a laptop. Well, that's not necessarily true. One of the things that uh, one of the persons on my team explored with was, okay, if they don't have a, a desktop, they don't have a laptop, if they have a, a PS4 or Xbox, those two devices do tap into the Wi-Fi. If they have a smart TV, which most of us do nowadays, those devices tap into the Wi-Fi. So we can still deliver content. They can use those devices to access the content. So that helped with trying to uh, level the playing field, so to speak, as it pertains to the actual devices that were needed. So first we surveyed our parents to determine what do you have at your disposal in terms of access to technology. The second piece was they may have a device, but do they have the uh, connectivity? So and you, I know you saw this where several companies started coming out and saying, hey, we will open up our broadband. We will, we will not have the, um, the walls up. We will not have the limits up. 
will open it up to everyone. And then also several companies um, opened it up to where they said, you know what, we will start to give you free Internet access if you are on the free or reduced lunch program. I'm determining, you know, what did, the t- what did the parents have in terms of the interconnectivity uh, of their devices, then determining, okay, now that we know that, what can we do as a district to say, okay, your teacher's going to work with your students, either virtually or we're going to, in many cases, we still had to have those paper-based packets to help support those students who still needed to have that tactile exposure to the content. Well, I'm glad that your district went through that process of having to surveying the families initially, because although all students were in the same storm in terms of dealing with the close of school and COVID-19, but it was clearly evident all students, rather, were not in the same boat in terms of technology. So it's good that y'all mm-hmm. recognize that and recognize really. Yes. Okay, so after the pandemic hit, of course, many industries are discovering that they're having to find innovative ways to stay afloat because they've had, they're having to do business in, in new ways that they never thought they would have to do business before just to make a profit. Education mm-hmm. included, although education doesn't necessarily make a profit, but, we, but in education it's a service, and we have to provide that service. So do you think that the current method of delivery of academics is outdated? Do you think that our education system is ready to evolve? It, honestly, in terms of it being outdated, it really depends on the philosophy of that district. Some of our districts have been forward-thinking districts where students were – it was a standard operating process for them to be involved in virtual learning opportunities. It was a standard op- um, process involved where the students had a component where when they went to school physically every day, they still had – experiences that require them to maneuver online, receive information online, learn online, collaborate online, and also to produce online. So it really depends on the district and how far they were willing to move with their philosophy. In terms of the, do I think that our education system is ready to evolve? Honestly, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. Um, You know, as an educator in in a public school system, we already were faced with the competition, so to speak, of the private sector when it comes to the charter schools. And many parents were opting to homeschool more and more because they were losing trust in the public education sector. So we were being forced to evolve in that manner to avoid losing students from the public education sector to the private sector. But now this has really added another um, component to whether you're public education or private education, you have to evolve now because as we know with the latest um, statistics and information from the CDC, we can probably bank on having another school closure. If things move in the way that they anticipate with the – the flu season and uh, the spike in the, in the um, COVID exposures, we can kind of, if, if they're true to form to what they're anticipating, then our education systems are going to have to be ready to evolve. Otherwise, it's going to crumble. Because one thing that we don't want to have happen is we do not want our parents and our students 
to just totally give up on the educational system because it's just it's not meeting their needs in the midst of whatever is happening. Dr. Wilson, thank you for your insight on that, and thank you for your leadership in public education in, dig- in the area of digital learning. It sounds like you are spearheading some real innovation. All right, I have one last question for you. It has nothing to do with the topic of digital learning. Uh, <laughs> so I would like to, I, every guest that I have, I just uh, have these questions, these random questions that I like to find out about them, just to get to know you a little bit better. My question is, if you could tell your younger self something, what would you tell her? What would you tell a young Janine? (laughs) I would tell a young Janine to trust the process. And the reason why I would tell her that is, honestly, I, when I went to college, I had no intent whatsoever on dealing with anything pertaining to the area of technology or computers at all. My goal was to be an accountant, but when I got to college and started taking accounting classes and realized that, well, you have to learn the laws behind accounting, I said, no, I said I want to be an accountant, not a lawyer. <laughs> but <laughs> even though I changed my, so I, I became, I, computers was something that came naturally to me. But like I said, my dean had started the program. Uh, the degree plan for computer information systems a year before I got to Alabama State University. And so in doing that, and he told me, he said, you know, if you don't want to major in accounting anymore, then think about what do you have a love of, what do you have a passion for, and just know that you can use that in any area whatsoever. Well, that wasn't very easy. That was, you know, it sounded great, but how do you really do that? So it was a process. It was a process involved, and then when I got into computer information systems as my major, and then I'm, I'm like, okay, why am I taking marketing classes? Why am I taking sociology classes? Why am I still taking an accounting class, Diva, and I said computer information systems? <laughs> the process was so that I could eventually learn how to use the skills and the knowledge that I can gain when it comes to building and creating technology, so to speak, to meet any industry. And that honestly and truly is what has helped me um, move to the field of education from being in the private sector as a programmer decades ago. So I would tell myself, my younger self, just Janine, just trust the process. It doesn't make sense right now, but believe me in the end, everything will start to make sense and everything will come together and you'll be the better for it. Trust the process. Thank you so yeah. much for your time. I appreciate you. Can you do me a favor? Please take the time to let everyone know how they can access your consulting services if there's ever a time in their company or in their business that they need to access online, an online platform or to create online learning. Oh, absolutely, yes. I can um, always be reached. Uh, my no- direct number is area code 346. Eight one eight zero nine five seven, and you can also send me an email to all his professional services, which is one two three four a b c d one two three four eighty eight at gmail dot com. But um, my goal is to help share my knowledge when, as it pertains to online learning. But my area of focus is to make sure that the learning and rigor happens. 
one of the biggest fears that we have when it comes to our students learning online, there is a huge fear in the loss of rigor. There's a huge fear in the loss of the collaboration that used to happen in face-to-face classrooms. And of course, there is a huge concern related to academic integrity. And so one of the things that we have done uniquely wherever I have worked is we know how to make that happen. We know how to make sure that online learning experiences students truly learn, and not just sitting and watching the teacher deliver a PowerPoint or reading something. The students are actually interacting with one another. They are actually having to apply critical thinking skills, and more importantly, they're having to take what they're learning and produce new experiences to demonstrate mastery of what they're learning. And many people are afraid that they're going to lose those aspects in the online environment. So those are some of the key areas that I know I can help with. Well, Dr. Wilson, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, as I said before. And I'm sorry, but that's our time. I enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Technology is a part of our everyday life. And for our children, they do not know life without it. Children are great thinkers. And the use of technology can encourage students to think in more creative and imaginative ways. To prepare your child for online learning, allow them to play games, educational or just for fun, and have them explain them to you. Ask them how did they get past a difficult level or how will they change their strategy for the next time. Together, we can evolve with the times and support the academic needs of our children. My name is Ronika Jacobs. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast and supporting my journey. Have you liked us on Facebook? Search Strive for More podcast show to learn the latest news or receive some daily inspiration. Continue to strive for more and live your best life now. See you in the next episode.